Hey everyone, hope you guys have been enjoying the podcast so far. On last week's episode, we had Angelica McDonald from Angelica Rose Events. A lot of people found that really useful and really came to us for a lot of advice on the video side. So if you guys have any questions, always reach out to us. We're super active on social, on Twitter, on Instagram, and we love to answer any kind of questions. On today's show, we have Tessa Breeden, founder and CEO of Social Media Co., where we talk about influencer marketing, digital marketing, and everything under the sun uh, regarding social media. This episode is sponsored by Any March Film. Now, for those who don't know, Any March or IFP is our first baby. Any March or IFP is the digital media agency that makes everything we do possible here at Dabble Radio. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening to Dabble Radio. Today, I have Tessa Breeden from Social Media Co. Tessa, tell us about Social and uh, everything you guys do. Hi, Kenny. Thank you. So at Social is a boutique marketing agency, but we focus in social media marketing and influencer marketing. So we do anything from social media management, social media marketing, running ads on Facebook, to running influencer campaigns with our clients that are product-based. Cool. How did you, like, how did you get started in this? Um, what was your background? What was your background in college, and how did that lead up to, to you being... Um, full-time in digital marketing and social media? Yeah, I'm kind of a accidental entrepreneur. I, my background is in English. That is what I studied in school. So that has nothing to do with the digital world. And then right after college, I moved to LA and got into fashion styling. So I was working with stylists. I love doing that, working with Kristen Stewart, Lauren Conrad, Emily Ratajkowski, so some big names. And then while I was out in LA, I got a job at FabFitFun, the subscription box. So we were doing influencer marketing over there, and they just didn't happen to have any positions at the time. So I went into marketing with a high-end jewelry company. And then after I ended at the jewelry company, I decided to move out to Vegas, and I found a job um, in influencer marketing out here in Vegas. There's a company out here called Influential, and I started working there, and in March of last year, I started a PR and marketing company, which has now turned into my own business as of January 2018. Yeah, let's go back on your experience in the fashion industry. How do you how do you think your time in L.A., and being around the big names and brands and the celebrities kind of helped you gravitate towards um, the full-time influencer strategy that, you, that you're doing now. I don't know if it was necessarily the fashion side of things that got me into digital. I think that was just an introduction into the influencer side of things. I would definitely say that FabFitFun was where my passion for influencer marketing really began. Um, when I started there, it was a really small company. There was probably maybe 15 employees. Now I know they have over 200 employees and they have an office that's much larger in space. So starting there and having that experience, having worked with, we were working with smaller influencers at that time. This was in 2015. So it wasn't that long ago, but the industry has just totally changed. So seeing what it was, in 2015, um, the transition has been really interesting. Um, and I think that you, to bring it back to the fashion side of things, I've always followed bloggers. I've always loved fashion. I've been following fashion blogs since high school. So probably I, 11, 12 years and I just have such a passion for it. So being able to work with those stylists 
got me more into the blogger side of things, which led me to FabFitFun, which led me to here. Yeah, even with FabFitFun, I mean, they blew up pretty quickly, right? Yeah, they blew up really fast. So they started, it was actually Juliana Rancic, who is a reporter at E! News. She had a blog that she was writing, and it was FabFitFun, and her ghostwriter, Katie Kitchen Rosen, she is now who has taken over FabFitFun, really. So Katie was ghostwriting for Juliana Rancic's blog, and she met these two guys, and they... They tell the story as they literally had a dream that they were delivering packages of presents to beautiful women. And so they decided to invest in this company and create the subscription box side after the blog had already been curated. So they still have the blog side of things. It's mm -hmm. just not as prominent as the box that everybody knows. Yeah. So tell me like, tell me some of the strategies you guys implemented at Fun. Because um, in 2015, this is this is kind of during the start of influencers. Yeah, I don't. I guess it was kind of in, not the start of influencers, but the start of. I was picking up the influencer push. I mm -hmm. think it was more so the start of influencers like really being paid for campaigns. Right. Um. So our strategy was really, it was a trial and error, and I think that is sometimes still how it can be. So we were reaching out to mass amounts of influencers. For FabFitFun, we were focusing on the time on YouTube influencers. And because YouTube is such an expensive market for influencers, mm. we were focusing on those micro-influencers, reaching out to them, sending out boxes, doing coupon codes, and then we were basing all of our campaigns on who was selling what boxes. We were working with some large influencers. We were working with housewives and we were working with like the Manzo brothers, so um, the Real Housewives of um, New Jersey, one of their sons. So we were just working with different types of influencers hmm. than I think are becoming more popular now. I definitely think it's moved more into like a lifestyle category, more so than just the faces you see on TV that are celebrities. I think that there's more of a marketplace for lifestyle influencers. Yeah, so what made um, what made the strategy go towards YouTube versus anyone on, or did you guys heavily focus on YouTube versus Instagram and Facebook? Yeah. So I don't think, I'm trying to remember. I don't recall, like, obviously well, there was no Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. So the strategy was based on what social media platforms that were available. And YouTube was the best opportunity for people to unbox something and to show the product that they had. You can take pictures of a box with all the products in it, but you can only get such a great shot. There's such a different experience when you unbox something with your audience mm -hmm. and show it on video versus when you show it in a photo on Instagram. Right, and this is, um, I mean, it's wild to think about, like 2015, was Snapchat around back then? Snapchat wasn't around. I don't, right? I don't think, yes it was, Snapchat was around. Yeah, it's crazy to think about how how fast um, technology goes going from no Instagram stories 2015 to everyone being 100% on Instagram stories and Snapchat. I think that's a that's a really interesting like dynamic flux between um, technology. Yeah, and I don't think we focused anything on Snapchat. It definitely worked a lot differently at FabFitFun than it did at Influential, the agency I was at. We weren't as focused on the cost per metric or the cost per click. We were pretty much just solely focused on the sales and the follower numbers. So I think hmm. that's where it was different is we were focusing on, okay, this person has 
10,000 subscribers and then this person has 100,000 subscribers and this person's doing better in sales than this person is doing. So we were focusing our campaigns more so on that than the technical side of what it was like cost per click or Mm -hmm. cost per metric um, for those influencers we were choosing. Yeah, and was this, I mean, 2015, I'm trying to think about like the social aspect of it back then was um, when you guys were sending the influencers on YouTube stuff, were they, was was this still around a time when they were, when the micro influencers, were they still asking for a generous amount of like of partnerships or funds? No, it's kind of funny you say that because... That is something that I've been talking to a lot of brands about, and there's been a lot on YouTube recently about, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of videos of, um, here's my truth that's coming out on YouTube, talking Mm -hmm. about the change of the influencer industry. I cannot remember, and I think personally, I think this has changed within the past year. When I was doing it back then, it was pretty much if you're receiving a free product, you would be happy to receive any sort of monetary mm. compensation that was being offered to you, whether that be 10% of every sales um, FabFitFun would offer. Um, if it would be like X amount per box, like $10 per box or whatever, because they were giving that person $10. Right. They were giving the followers $10 off the box anyway. So you would get whatever amount off box that you were selling but now it's really shifted and this could be a completely different conversation we get into mm-hmm. it's micro influencers now are almost demanding mm-hmm. monetary compensation for anything and i get it i get it on both sides of the spectrum brand side and influencer side <clears throat> excuse me um so yeah, that's a really interesting conversation. I'm happy to dive into that if that's where you want to go, because that could be a long one for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we can dive into that later, and that's I, I think that's one subject that I'm really interested in as well. What's like micro influencers are now charging a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars per post versus back then, as you were saying, it's like I, I got a free box or I got this affiliate link which gives me ten percent, right? Which is such a it's just such a crazy. Uh, aspect to think about but let's move into um your time at influential like tell me about that yeah so my time at influential was really fun that was a really cool company to be a part of um because it's not just although it is influencer marketing it is also a tech company so the basis behind influential is that it's a tech startup so they have an app and they have an entire software program they are partnered with ibm watson so you can go into their platform as a brand and you're seeking an adventure influencer that's a man and his main focus is on the West Coast. So they have the ability to find those influencers Mm -hmm. based on the demographics that you are specifically seeking for your campaign. Very cool. So that was really cool to be able to work on those types of campaigns and be able to work on large scale campaigns. Mm -hmm. And large scale in terms of we're working with Toyota and Espresso, Condé Nast, these big companies which are... um, I don't know, multi-million dollar companies. And we were running campaigns that were anywhere from 50000 to $300,000. It wasn't just a tiny campaign. We were, being, we were paying these influencers mass amounts of money to create original posts for us, which really interested me. And it also, it gives you an insight, as I mentioned earlier, that I've been following influencers for a very long time. This is just something I'm genuinely passionate about. So 
working with some of those people that you love so dearly and seeing what they're like on the business side is interesting as a consumer, as a reader, and then Mm -hmm. as a business, it's totally different to work with those people and experience them and how they work, how they operate, what their price is like, um, how they act if they are offended by the price you offer them. It's all really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's wild. So, um, you guys use a specific platform was it a platform or was it um interconnected with watson that allowed you to to deep dive into the demographics so theirs was not deep diving into the demographics the ibm watson was more so for finding the influencers Mm -hmm. themselves but the demographic side of things there's multiple third-party websites um the one i personally love is demographics pro i think it's the best way it's a pricey program it's definitely something to look into if you're an agency looking for a program Hmm. but that really gives you the breakdown of every part of the influencer it gives you who exactly from their following who's following them from every different age bracket who's following them by city state country um, what their followers' interests are. Um, it breaks down what their affinities are. So if, if you have a client that looks for, they want to, it's Coca-Cola, and they want to hire you because you like skateboarding or they want your followers to like mountain biking, hmm. um, Demographics Pro can dig into that, and it'll break down everything for you to show you what your followers' affinities are. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. And there's actually, I don't think, I think people are doing it more often now because it's so readily available and Mm -hmm. anybody knows like, oh, I can just go to Demographics Pro and get this program and do it myself. Or they're working with these companies. I believe, and I could be totally wrong, but I believe Influential is implementing something like that. Very cool. Um, And then there's another company called The Hub. Mm -hmm. And they have an app. And I know they started out pretty small, um, but they also implement. If you are a member with The Hub and you're an influencer, you can be an influencer or a photographer and put yourself out there to find content creators that are similar to you. And when you have your profile in The Hub, they offer all of those demographics to you. So as a creator or an influencer, I can look at that profile and see where my following is, where my Mm. engagement is, what affinities my followers have. So when I go to approach a brand for a brand deal, I can say, this is why I am charging you this much money because of my affinities, because of my demographic. I have a unique demographic or... um, my following is here. You're looking for somebody in Colorado. Look, 90% of my followers are Colorado. I am the perfect person for this campaign. You're not going to find anybody else. So you should pay me more. Right. And I think that's, what's so fascinating too, is like now there's, there's so many apps or so many programs that benefits both sides. Yeah. Right. And it's like you as an influencer or you as a brand, um, that's reaching out to influencer. Now you both have even, it's like an even platform. But that's where you as an influencer really have to be smart about your business and, be, and know, your, know your demographics, know your stats in order to not undercharge yourself in that sense, right? Totally. And I think that's one thing I've noticed. Again, I see it on both sides because not only do I run influencer campaigns for clients, but I also manage influencers. Right. So I can see it on both sides of the spectrum. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because I get where my the influencers i'm reaching out to for my clients when they don't want to do something for free Hmm. i'm aggravated as a brand that somebody doesn't want to promote our product for free but at the same time i'm over here asking a brand for thousands of dollars for my client because they just genuinely deserve that price for their content right so it's definitely interesting to see that um 
yeah, I'm not sure where I was headed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on both sides, like on both sides of, of the, of the hemisphere, like how do you as a brand, um, real, like get the full realization that when you're paying an influencer that you're getting your full money, your full money's worth. And you as an influencer, like how do you know you're affecting that brand um, and increasing the revenue in that sense? Because totally, that's an interesting question. Right. Um, I don't know if there is a totally solid answer. I actually just read something, I think it was a Forbes article and it was talking about, there's a difference between influencers who are um, sales generators. Mm. There are influencers out there that are just, gen like they are generating sales for brands. And there are influencers that are out there that are just solely good for brand awareness products. And okay. they don't generate a lot of sales for that brand, but it's brand awareness. So I kind of tell all my clients, if you're going in without a solid influencer budget, mm -hmm. and I personally think it should be a quarterly budget that you set aside for influencer marketing. If you don't go in with a budget, you have to go in knowing that you're creating brand awareness. Um, unless you're implementing something specific to where you're driving sales, they're really isn't a way to pick people. And again, you don't know. So you asked how, if, as, as a brand, how do you know that the influencer you're choosing is going to be profitable or right. the right fit for you? A lot of it just has to do with research and picking the right person. Um, I actually recently did a campaign and it was with an influencer I was working with and it was just very, it was disappointing in the fact that the influencer really wanted to do it and then when the product came to be, the photo came to be, it ended up being, there was no passion in the photo. Mm. It was just a photo. Right. Anybody can take a photo, you know what I mean? So I think it's finding people who genuinely fit in your brand and make sense for your brand. So if mm. you are planters peanuts and you're going, after these influencers that are bloggers, like does that necessarily make sense for your brand? Right. I don't know, unless that blogger talks about how much she loves planters peanuts, then mm -hmm. no, it doesn't necessarily make sense. So with some of my clients, we, I have some children's toys. So we focus on mommy bloggers. But the thing mm -hmm. is, is we have to focus on mommy bloggers who have kids above the age that can actually use the product. Right. So it's being really specific about who we're targeting and making sure that person is genuinely interested. And same goes for influencers. I mean, you can obviously say this all day and not everybody's gonna take the advice, but mm -hmm. as an influencer, I think it's so unfair for people to take on campaigns that they're not genuinely passionate about. People do it, I get it that it is money generation. It's so easy to make money nowadays on mm -hmm. influencer marketing, but it's just so unfair to me that some of these influencers are stealing away opportunities and hundreds of dollars from somebody else just to make the money. Right. You can go make money anywhere. Right. You know? Now, but now in that sense, um, is that the influencer's fault for taking that, that position? Or is that the brand for not doing his research? I'd say it's both because right. you might look at a yoga influencer and go, oh, this person is a great fit for my brand. Mm -hmm. But that influencer knows like, oh, I really only wear this certain brand and I'm just going to push this because I'm getting paid to do so. Right. Do you really want your brand being pushed to people that don't actually like it? Right. So, and I mean, even as an agency, I like to only, and I think everybody's done this in business. I try and only take clients that I'm genuinely passionate about. Mm. I think it's unfair to take on something that is just for money. I think that's just 
such a, a gluttonous thing to do. Um, right. But it's like we're human. I don't know. <laughs> no, I get it. It's like, I, I think in this sense, it's like it's always a give and take between the two, right? Absolutely. Like both have their own visual representation that they have uh, culminated and curated mm-hmm. throughout the years and it has to fit in both worlds. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I think a way to eliminate some of the problem for the brands being disappointed is to be very specific in their asks. Mm-hmm. I consulted with somebody recently and they made, and I told them, I said, you need to make very very specific asks to your influencers. You need to tell them what you want the photo to look like. Do you want the photo to have certain colors? Do you want the photo to be focused on your product? Mm. What specifically? So creating this one sheet for this influencer saying, this is exactly how I want this. And then letting them know, I need a certain amount of revisions. Like you will not be paid unless your photo follows these guidelines. We would do the same thing when I was at Influential. We would send out a one sheet of this is exactly, and we would send it before we sent the contract, let them know what we're asking for. Mm. Um, So like, for example, I remember we did an espresso campaign and I ran point on that. And I cannot tell you how many times we had to reshoot it because the capsules had to be a certain way. Uh, and getting influencers to create a photo that looked like that was really hard or getting them to um, pick a filter that fit their feed that didn't wash out the Nespresso name on the silver cup. Right. So it's little things like that. If those are specific things that your brand has a an embossed logo that you absolutely need to show you need to specify to the influencer like this is the focus this is exactly Mm. what i need you to do and most of them are really compliant with it it's just giving them the opportunity to succeed right because if you give them all the tools to succeed there's a much better chance of them doing it the way you want them to do it than going in the dark and saying hey, we want a photo that fits your feed with this product. Like, yes, everybody knows it needs to fit their feed, but there's a lot more specific of an ask right. than just that. Right, right, right. That's so interesting. So um, in the past, you've been dealing with a lot of bigger brands, brands that are either in the millions or billions, mm-hmm. right? So let's talk about on the smaller mom and, mom and pop side. As you were saying, um, the brands need to be curated to the point where the ask has to be so specific where it fits their brand. Now, as a small business owner or other uh, lifestyle brands that are on the rise and they're not as stingent or they're not as detailed as these other companies that can um, afford the budget to to Mm -hmm. be really specific in this ass, like what what are some tips for, for the smaller ones that just want content or just want brand awareness and like, how, because, you know, as, as I think as a small business owner, it's like you do so many things in a day. Like how, how should they approach um, working with local influencers or just working with influencers in general? Okay, we're going to pose a couple of situations. So if I forget one, remind me that I have something else to talk about as well. Okay. So there's two different ways you can go about it. You mentioned um, product, I mean, photos for content. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned brand awareness. So right. I'll start with the content side of things. You can approach influencers in one of two ways. Some influencers will just produce content as a model for your brand. 
and they will either charge a fee for that kind of like they would a photography fee it might be cheaper it might not be but it's content that you can share with their name essentially so let's just say an influencer is charging fifty dollars for five photos those five photos might be more beneficial than paying fifty dollars for a photo shoot because then you have that name behind it mm. so you already have that person you can tag that person you can use their name and likeness in your photos and without them posting it on their page. So there's still an opportunity for their followers to see it on their tagged photos. Maybe they'll repost it, maybe they won't. There's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to do it. You can also send people product. And I mean, you can ask people to do things for free. Um, a lot of influencers will say, oh, it's so unfair. And again, I get it on both sides of things. Yes, it is unfair to an extent, but it's not super fair for brands to pay people right off the bat necessarily either. Somebody recently told me, they said PR is earned on both sides. So why are you paying this? And like, what if you love this product and post it anyway? I found that out at, Infl- or I'm sorry, at FabFitFun by sending people product, you know they're gonna like the product anyway. So mm-hmm. you're kind of playing roulette with it and sending out product, but if it doesn't cost you anything to do so, there's the opportunity of somebody posting and then you get to use that content. Got it. So the other side of things would be brand awareness. I would say as a small business, you don't have a budget and you happen to have a product or a service that you're able to offer. I would say reaching out to people. And if you're a service-based company, inviting them to come in and experience your service and not require anything, but Mm -hmm. saying, if you choose to share about us, we'd love a shout out on your Instagram stories, Mm -hmm. tag us, um, so that's a great way for brand awareness that I think that people, I don't, maybe they don't forget about it, but Instagram stories I think is personally underutilized. I mm-hmm. think it's much more effective than people think it is. I watch Instagram stories way more than I go through my feed. So I'm more likely to see something there as a consumer. Um, and then again, some people, if they genuinely love your product or what you stand for, they're happy to share your product on Instagram stories and as a brand without a budget, I'd say take what you can. And if somebody says, you know what? I love what you're doing. I love the mission behind this product. I am happy to share this on my Instagram stories. I hope you understand that my feed posts are paid only. I only post fashion posts, whatever their reasoning may be. I'd say take what you can get and use that content to the best of your ability. So for some of my clients, we get Instagram stories. So now we have the ability to create a highlight. So Mm. now these highlights can live on our page And it can be like influencers who love us and we can share the influencers who love our product and we're able to using that new share feature on Instagram stories, Mm -hmm. put that on our feed and people are now able to see that XYZ influencer who has 200,000 followers put us on her Instagram story because she loved us and she loved what we were doing. Right. So you just have to go in with the expectation that it you may or may not get posted. I know that sounds terrible, like that's not the best answer I could give you, but it really is that you can't expect somebody to post something if you're doing it for free. If you have any sort of budget and you decide that you have a very small budget, Mm -hmm. figure out how you can make that budget work. Is that budget gonna go to a dedicated Instagram story post? Maybe, is that budget gonna go to your begging an influencer to do something for a low cost. Maybe at least you're offering some sort of monetary compensation. I'm not saying you need to um, shill out $5,000 a quarter for this. I mean, yes, ideally, 
right. I would love if everybody gave me $5,000 a quarter to do influencer campaigns. But that's not easy for everybody to do. So I'd say do what you can to create brand awareness because no matter if you're paying people or not paying people, if nobody knows about your product, they're not going to buy it anyway. Right. So I think people forget the need for brand awareness and mm -hmm. they underestimate brand awareness. They want to get big social media followings or they want to get commercials or do all these things. But it doesn't matter if you get a billboard on the strip. If nobody knows about your product or if they see it one time driving by, they're never going to buy it. Right. They know who you are. Sure. So. Sure. And we've experienced that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I think as, um, as a lot of like small business owners too, it's the time that they need to put in within doing a research and really focusing on, on the marketing side of it. It's, it's one of those things where if you're not able to do it, find someone to be able to do it. Absolutely. Right. And it's just curating those lists. And so that's something that my team works on daily is building lists just mm -hmm. of influencers. There are new influencers daily. Right. When I say daily, I mean, there are like new people I'm finding every single day. And that's not a joke. Are they all great? No, but they could potentially benefit you in every which way. There's tons of influencers out there and it's just making sure that you're utilizing the right ones that make sense for your brand. Yeah. So let's talk about um, let's talk about that a little more. Like, what are what are some of the common small mistakes um, small business owners are making on social, and how can that be improved? That's a loaded question. In terms of stories, in terms of you know, let's say let's say you're a coffee shop and you're you have a lot of content to work with, you have a lot of things to work with inside, but. Um, the perspective has to either be shift a little bit or it has to be focused on a little bit of content creation. Yeah, I would probably say the most trouble I run into is content creation itself. Mm. People don't, and again, it comes back to the money side of things, and I totally get it being a small business myself. People don't want to spend the money on the content creation. They say, oh, well, I can take photos. I can do this. I can do that. But sometimes it's worth it, depending on what your brand is and what you're trying to establish. Are you trying to establish an aesthetic for your brand? Um, like what, what is your goal on social media? So if you're on Instagram, I would say, yes, everybody wants to do sales. But say a majority of people do Instagram for, again, brand awareness mm -hmm. and aesthetic. They're building a brand name for themselves and if you look at these major brands they all have pretty good aesthetics right so i think that is the one thing i run into the most is that people don't know what aesthetic they want to go with mm. and then it comes down to engagement so making sure that they're engaging with the right types of people you'll always see like wendy's or right. kfc's a really big one that does a lot of really big engagement opportunities on their social media. I mean, KFC is giving away $11,000 to people who name their babies after their founder. There's a contest for it. So it's things like that that these brands are doing that are unique mm -hmm. for that specific industry that's really getting their name out there. So I think it's just finding your niche and finding what makes you unique and um, creating this aesthetic around your brand. Yeah, and I think even with KFC, KFC is that's a really good example too. And um, I don't, I don't know if the viewers remember this, but uh, who's that kid that did the Nugs for Carter? For yeah, Wendy's, so right? he went to my high school. Oh no He way. was at Bishop and Oak High School in Reno, Nevada. That is where I went. 
Hey, hey. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to the class of 2011. Oops, that shows how young I am. <laughs> also your 25th birthday. Yes. Just yes. passed. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Nugs for Carter. That was, yeah. I mean, that was like, what, that was 2016, 15-ish? No, that wasn't that long ago. That was that long ago. Um, I think it was only last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so it's like the the trend of, it's not even the trend of it, right? But it's brands are getting, people are get brands are getting more creative. People are getting more creative. Like, what, what do you see in 2019? Oh, man. What do I see in 2019? In terms of social media itself, influencer marketing, all of it? In, yeah, in terms of digital media, in terms of, of how influencers, because, I mean, even right now um, on Instagram, a, a lot of it, it's, the aesthetic wise seems to be similar to yeah. how it's been over the last year. And, you know, from two years ago, three years ago, a lot has changed, but aesthetically, every, a lot of things has kind of looked the same. So with everything that we have now, with all the new technology that we have, like how can people get more creative? Like yeah. where, where does creativity limit itself in 2019 or where can they push to that extent? Totally. So Lucky for you, I think video marketing is the direction things are really going. Um, I just don't think that a still photo is sharing the message that everybody wants for their brand. And so I think it's really doing, um, it's implementing interactive and innovative marketing techniques. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, I mean, obviously this goes back to social media and influencer marketing, but it's really creating unique experiences. Let's just use Bumble, for example. So Bumble's created, now they have their Bumble Dating, their Bumble BFF, they have mm-hmm. their Bumble Biz. They're creating all these things and they're creating things like they have the Hive pop-up, which is like workspaces in LA. And to get in, you just have to show your Bumble Biz profile. And they have really high speakers and really cool people that are speaking and they're being sponsored by big alcohol companies that want to get in. And they're promoting it and they have brand ambassadors on every campus that is a Bumble brand ambassador. So they're using social media to share all these things, but they have other marketing strategies implemented that are external. So I think that it's just getting creative in senses like that. Um, And social media running fun campaigns. Um, I was working with a cryptocurrency company and there's a lot of cryptocurrencies doing like scavenger hunts where you have to solve problems or do questions to get people to engage on your profile. I can speak from experience that that was probably the hardest account I've ever had to work on. It's Hmm. very hard to market something like that. So just finding a way, like what about your brand makes you the most interesting um, and exciting, I guess. I mean, I think it will always be aesthetic. I think that the influencer thing, I think it'll still, I don't know, I kind of go back and forth. I love influencer marketing, but I have like this fear of influencer marketing and where it's headed hmm. because I just see, like when I think influencer marketing, all I can see are just dollar signs right now. And so what do you mean? Uh, because it's just getting so expensive. It's getting to be, I know we touched on it earlier, but micro influencers asking for money. And it's not becoming as easy of a market as it used to be. It's becoming a little more exclusive to work with influencers. Hmm. So in terms of, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, but influencers are popping up every day. So is it a race to the bottom to work with micro-influencers or what? 
kind of. I feel like that's a really great, <laughs> it's a great way to put it, a race to the bottom. Um, I mean, yeah, and I don't think we really touched on it. I know I said I wanted to bring it back up, and maybe now is the chance to bring sure. it back up. But there, there's this thing right now where every micro-influencer wants to be compensated. That is just something that is known, and it could be somebody with you used to. So technically, a micro-influencer starts at, I would say, 10000 Some companies would say, I know one, like, a friend of mine works at Toyota. She says 8,000. Okay. So it really varies. Um, and then you have to think about, okay, so what is an influencer? Everyone get, oh, I get this question more than you would think. What sure. is an influencer? So it's somebody that has an influence on people. It's not just somebody with a big following, but it's somebody who genuinely has an influence on people and is able to make an impact. Sure. So sure these people with 8000 may be getting tons of engagement um i just think that there's this fear that people are asking for money in these small brands are just drowning out mm. of the influencer world because people expect to get paid for something and it's now not oh i really love this product i want to share it don't get me wrong there are tons of people who genuinely love products and share them that are big influencers. I follow a lot of them. A lot of them are not sponsored posts. Not everything any influencer posts is a sponsored post. Mm -hmm. um, but I just feel that it almost is, like you just said, it almost is a race to the bottom. It's like, how do I find the best up-and-coming influencers? And you really don't know. I mean, you could look at my profile, and I almost have 3,000 followers on my personal. Does that mean that I'm an up-and-coming influencer? No, but some brand, like, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's just being really aware of the changes in the market and kind of listening to, I know I mentioned, there's a bunch of videos going around on YouTube, speaking my truth. And it's these big influencers that are talking about um, brands that have talked to them a certain way or brands that get mad at them because they ask for money and they don't mm -hmm. want to pay them. And it's very, just like everything is right now, everything's very PC with people, mm. like so PC. And it is with influencers too. And it's like, if you can't pay that person, are they going to get offended? I mean, I'll get emails from people and I'll say, hey, like we have this product. We'd love to send you free product. I don't ever require anyone to post. I'd say, we'd love for you to give us a shout out. Like, if not, we get it. We're only offering it to you for free. I'll have some people that are like, I love this. I just, I charge for a post if this is my full-time job. And like, you know, I get it. Let me save your rates. Hopefully we can find a budget and work with you in the future. I get some people that just say, oh my gosh, I love this. This is perfect. I know my followers are going to adore this. I'd love, can I do a swipe up? I'm like, uh, heck yeah, I'll send you 20. Um, and then I have people who will just send back, my rate is X. Like, with no personality, don't care. They're just solely seeking monetary compensation. Right. So you really get a variety. Um, and the same thing, I have a friend that they just launched a brand and they ran a big campaign and they ran into the same problem. Hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely a fear for me that it's just this race to find the new up-and-coming influencer. And it's kind of funny because you'll see everyone always jokes about people that are on, like, Bachelor and Bachelorette and mm -hmm. how the minute that... ABC releases or Reality Steve, whoever releases it first, are the contestants. 
you watch the minute those are released, you watch how fast those influencers become influencers. Oh, you mean the contestants that oh, are on it? Oh, yeah. Okay. They, like, all of a sudden have 10,000 followers, are blowing up drastically, everybody knows about their personal lives, and hmm. those are the people that all these brands are finding. That's how we found a lot of people at FabFitFun, uh, as we were finding different TV show contestants, because we knew. Right, right, right. That's wild. So, looking back, right now it's 2018, August, in 2025, is influencers... Is that still going to be a thing? Is it going to, are brands going to be smarter um, in terms of if I was a brand, I would hire this influencer full time, come work with us or are influencers still going to be, I mean, like right now it's a gold rush for influencers, right? Totally. And in that sense, but is that going to be how it's still going to be with five years from now, 10 years from now? Hey, that's a really great question. I'm going to go with probably not. I think it's definitely going to change. I mean, it's inevitable. Um, I think social media will change completely. Right. I think social media is totally going to change. I don't know in what way necessarily. I just know that it's totally, I mean, just look at Instagram and all the changes that Instagram Mm -hmm. is making. And I think those changes, again, are inevitable. Um, I have no idea what those changes are going to be. I don't know if they're going to be better or for worse. Um, I don't know. I... I mean, Facebook has been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. but look at MySpace, how quickly that diminished. Is that is that on the rise? Is Facebook the next thing? I don't know. Is Instagram going to be the next thing? Is there gonna, I know that there were um, a few months back some new platforms trying to come out that were similar and they just were really flopping. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Instagram will necessarily go away, um, but I think it will change. And I don't know in which way it will change, but just seeing the algorithms change and the different things they're trying to switch up, something's got to give. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, just going back from a few years ago when they started introducing stories, and that's, that shifted a huge change within the market. So think about where it'll be in 2020. Like, I personally think VR is going to be huge. But it's not going to be big for another like five years. Yeah. Right. But there are so many creative things out there that people are doing. Like you said, video. Yeah. Right. It's like now the influencers who were once doing photos now have to learn video. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. So obviously YouTubers mm-hmm. kind of started out differently. And I, in my personal opinion, I think YouTube's declining in a sense. Mm. Others might think differently. I used to be really, really into YouTube, and I just don't find myself seeking it out as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Instagram got so heavy with, yeah. with IGTV. And I think the con- but even I, the content is so different. I think you need. Right. I think that YouTube is its own special platform. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because you mentioned people doing videos and IGTV. You look at some of these bloggers and they're having to learn video to do Instagram TV just to kind of stay relevant Mm -hmm. and they're focusing time into it and they're making some really sick content. Like some of the girls I follow that do fashion blogs, they're now doing these really, really cool like home tour videos and they're doing all these travel videos um, and just doing cool things that are exciting for people you can look at for example um 
Zach Kelter and Helen Owens. Those mm-hmm. are two travel influencers who they've kind of always done the travel thing, but just their videos and their content keeps getting better and better. And these people are just, it's, it's really, it's like an art form in a sense. Right. It's just totally, yeah, it's crazy. But they definitely, everybody's kind of lear- learning how to do everything because they have to to stay relevant. But I also think that on the influencer side of things, there's a point where you're doing too much. Hmm. There now, can be a point where you're doing too much. Now let's talk about that. Let's let's uh, dive a little deeper into that. So what what's too much? Okay, so I have too much on an influencer side and a brand side. Okay. Can I speak to both? Yes. Awesome. Good news. So on an influencer side, I think that they're... And again, this is just all these opinions are my own. Hashtag not sponsored. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that if you know your niche, if you are a, an Instagram or a YouTuber, let's just say you're a YouTuber, I don't feel that you should focus on making all of your platforms great. I feel like you should focus on one platform and make that one platform really exceptional. Um, obviously, if you're on YouTube, you're probably using Instagram also, and you're probably gaining a following from that. And, and maybe there is. There is a lot of crossover. It's really easy to um, transition from platform to platform. I remember um, Lauren Everett of The Skinny Confidential used to talk about this all the time. I used to be the most avid reader of hers. She would talk about this all the time. She would go on Snapchat, and she would talk about her, her um, Instagram post. And she'd say, go check out this Instagram post. And on her Instagram post, she would talk about her Instagram story. And mm-hmm. on her Instagram story, she would say on her post, like, go check out my Instagram story. On her Instagram story, she would talk about her blog. And on her blog, she would link back to her Facebook. And on her Facebook, she would link back to her Snapchat. Oh my gosh. So she literally made it run all full circle. Okay. So all of her platforms were able to exceptionally succeed because people were running around every platform. And it sounds like a lot like, oh, I really have to do a lot of work. But you did it because if you were a follower, follower of hers, you would go, I already watch her on Snapchat. Great. She told me to go watch her. And in- she's going to do an Instagram live. Guess what I would do? I would go watch her Instagram live. And then she'd say, go leave a comment on my post guess what I would do? I would go leave a comment on the post and then she would lead me somewhere else. And I, the next thing I know, I'm sitting on her blog reading about the product. She started talking about on her Snapchat. Hmm. So she really made things full circle. And I think that she did it in an exceptional way and was really able to grow her brand. Her brand is very successful. I've heard her speak at conferences. I own her books. I have signed things by her. I've met her and got super fangirled, but I don't know if that necessarily works for everybody. Right. And I think that everybody's so focused on being so great at everything that sometimes it's okay to step back and be really good at one thing. Like, I don't know if, not anybody, but most people aren't big on Facebook. Like, you don't, there's not a lot of big Facebook influencers. There definitely are some. Mm Mm-hmm. But you don't find these influencers who are, like, huge on Facebook. Like, imagine if they had just, like, just focused on Facebook and made that their priority. Like, would they have succeeded? Would they have been big? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but I think there can be too much in that sense. And then same thing for brand. I think that sometimes brands get carried away with doing influencer marketing. They want to do a podcast. And they want to do 
Facebook ads and they want to do Facebook, they want to do Twitter, they want to do LinkedIn, they want to do all these things on social media and they mm. want to do, they just want to do everything and I think it can be just draining as a brand. Like you're trying to run this brand but then you're also running like a million social media accounts and even being on the agency side of things and running all those accounts, I think it can really drown out what you're, the message you're actually trying to share with people by trying to do a billion things. Like if you have, like obviously you, it's different, but like if you have a product company and you're doing a blog and you're doing a podcast and you're Mm. doing Instagram lives, like does that make sense for you? Like how are you selling your product by speaking on all these things? Like where do do you want people to follow you? They don't Mm. know which one to follow you on. I mean, yes, each one is targeting a different demographic. Right. But I mean, don't fix what's not broken. Hmm. If you're doing great on Instagram, like why start out a blog that I don't now, know. That's just my personal opinion to go back on that too. Right. Um, it's, it's hard to like live on one platform alone. Um, cause let's say what if Instagram goes down in a year? Totally. Right. I get that. I would say not necessarily living on one platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, I don't know. I, and again, I'm not the kind of person, I don't know if this makes me lazy. I would say it doesn't, but I don't want to have like so many things going that I can't keep everything in check for myself. Right. Um, so a lot of people that are in social media have a blog. I personally just don't because I know that it would fail because I wouldn't have the time and energy to put into a blog. Sure. So I don't want to start something that I know I can't succeed in. Right. And it's a lot of that requires so much time. And now it's like everyone has media, media teams to help them with with all the content they need to publish, right? Absolutely. So in order to live on all these platforms, you need a team. Absolutely. And all, yeah, and it's hard. It's hard work. The content itself is for sure like the most time-consuming piece of it all. Right. It's just the writing of it. And, um, like, for me, it's finding the right voice for that brand and knowing that when I'm working on this brand that I have to have a very specific brand voice and I have to really hone into that and I have to watch videos of, like I love to watch videos of my clients speaking mm. because when I'm writing something I feel like I can hear their voice and I'm able to type something in their voice so the, and I that could just be a skill that I've developed having had an English background and writing way too many papers to count mm-hmm. um but it's just a very specific voice that I think is developed and you start to understand what that brand needs to develop that specific piece of content. Now, let's talk about Sosha and yourself a little bit. Where um, Finally. Finally, <laughs> gosh. I know you're, you're rebranding with the whole website too, right? I am. How's that going? It's just in its very beginning stages. Um, it's kind of funny because working in a creative industry I kind of like when somebody else takes over my creative, Mm. which is good, bad, confusing for people. But I found somebody that I really trust in their web development. And she and I spend so much time. She has all of her meetings via video call. Mm. So she can see my facial expressions when she shows me something that I don't like. Sure. Um, But she's being very specific about my brand and what she wants to see of it and she knows what I like what fonts I like what colors I like and she's doing mood boards for me and 
Um, we're able to go through like my Pinterest and make it really pretty and I can explain everything to her. So it's just finding that brand that really fits me and finding somebody that gets that. Sure. Now, That's I know we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, but um, what was the whole purpose of redoing the website? And I know you had a very one big goal for that. Yeah. So my entire goal of my website is to find clients that are geared toward the lifestyle niche. Um, I think we've all been guilty of it by taking on clients just to take on clients because we felt sure. like, oh, I don't have enough clients. I need to have 12 clients and I only have nine clients, whatever that may be. And I think at this point, being almost a year into business, I now can look back and say, I know that the clients that I love and adore working with are lifestyle clients. So it makes sense to rebrand myself to specifically target that. I think the website I currently have, it is very... It's just like snoozy is the mm. best way I can describe it. It is white, pink, meh. Like it just right. has like nothing to it. It draws in nobody. I used to get quite a bit of traction on my website because I was making it an effort. Mm. But at this point, I don't feel that it reflects my brand. So I really want something that is more of a masterpiece and it is an artistic representation of my brand. Sure visual because my brand's visual i mean i yes i do facebook and linkedin and all those other things but i'd say most of my clients want to do instagram and mm. I, how do you present yourself as a brand when you don't have something that's visually appealing people hire you because they like your aesthetic right so right and i think that's one of the most important um things to have as well when you're a small business is making sure the visual visual representation of you on digital is aligned, right? A lot of people are not focused on the website. Like, websites for us is so important because mm -hmm. there's only a couple main of main sources of traffic. Like either it's Instagram or it's the website or it's social. But a lot of people aren't taking factors how important a website is. So I'm glad you're you're really seeing the importance of it. You know, and I feel like that's a lot of other small companies as well need to really focus on that because a lot of the mom and pop shops are still, their websites are still back in like 1990s. Yeah, and as somebody, I guess people could argue that they aren't being found on their websites, but I think that's because their website isn't user friendly. Um, so I always think of it depending, okay, so who is your client? So for me, I know that my client is not me or you. Sure. We know how to run social media. Most of people of the people our age or people that are under, this is a generalization, people under 35 know how to do social media enough to want to try and run it for their business. Mm -hmm. So I would say that majority of my clients are in their mid to late 30s and up. Okay. Um, and that is just because they know they need it, have no idea how to execute it, and really just don't want to. So it's nice, I know who my demographic is and what my ideal client is. And to capture that person, I need a website that can do certain things. So I'll send my dad websites mm -hmm. and see if he can navigate them. And that's kind of how I test my user experience because if okay. he can't figure out how to use the website, then my clients that are similar to him, they won't be able to figure out how to use my website. Right. As tech savvy as my mom, sorry if she ever listens to this, thinks she is, she might not know how to use a website or she might not know how to find the 
I don't know, the Instagram link at the bottom of the page. Right. But she's my ideal client. So I want it to make it so she can find the things that I want her to see. Right. So I like to test it out on my parents just because they are my demographic of client. Right. Um, I think that's such an important <laughs> tip as well. Like, totally. you know, it's funny, but it's also it's also a really useful tip that I don't think a lot of people are, are doing. No, right. and I think it's like anything is if you know who your client is and you're seeking business on Instagram or Facebook, like just know who your audience is. Um, I have two clients that are in the same realm of product. One of them does really well on Instagram. The other one does really well on Facebook. Um, so it's kind of been interesting to see. I've never had a client that does so well on Facebook before. I mean, they are getting, one of them gets, or I mean, they both get quite a few views on their Facebook posts. Again, I've never had a client that's done so well on Facebook, hmm. but one of them has significant engagement. They're getting like 50 plus likes on posts on Facebook. I've never had that. It's crazy to me. So it's knowing oh. that that's their demographic. So we can focus on Instagram and those are the influencers, but like we are pushing in Instagram because it's easy for somebody to swipe up and purchase it. But when we're sharing the specifics of the brand and the mission that we're working with, right. that goes on Facebook. I already know eyes are going to see it and it's a mm -hmm. great place to house it. Yeah. So. And it's, I think it's really interesting both as well too. It's like both, both platforms are so uniquely different. Totally. Right? Because you as a brand, it's, it's harder to sell for most companies, it's harder to sell on Facebook versus on Instagram because mm -hmm. it's like I, I, I feel like Facebook is such a relationship cultivation based yeah. where it's like you have to have you have to develop some, some sort of relationship with your perspective, your prospective client for them to feel comfortable buying from you. Whether on Instagram, it's just so you can swipe up and yeah. lead directly to that page. I will say though, again, when it comes back to the demographic thing, um, like depending on what the product is, I think that there can be a problem with the swipe up mm -hmm. if you're targeting a demographic that may not understand that side of it. I mean, I have people all the time messaging me, asking me social media questions, obviously. People asking me, I had somebody ask me the other day what the difference between a feed post and an Instagram story was. So, and that person is 40. Okay. So they're not old and they're using Instagram, I guarantee they would not know how to swipe up and find something. Right. So that's kind of a problem that is posed, or a lot of people don't like the link in bio. Mm. There's really no other way to do it. So it's just knowing, again, like where your key demographic is and does it make sense to sell your product on that platform? Is it more of a brand awareness? Like you're just doing social media because you need people to find your product and you just have your website in your bio and you don't have specific products. Um, yeah, it's just really honing in on your demographic. Right. I think that's, that might be the hardest part for people. Like, what is my demographic? How do I figure out what my demographic is? Some people just don't know. So how would they do it? Um, I would say, oh, how do, well, on Facebook, there are different ways that you can mm -hmm. see who are looking. I would say a good test would be to run ads and see who your ad is being targeted to. Um, I ran an ad for somebody recently. It was a real estate ad and it went and I didn't target it. I did a few targeted ads to people above 25 because it was it's a million dollar property. I can assume that nobody that's 16 year old is 16 years old buying a million dollar property sure. in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of a retirement home. So when I went and looked at the analytics from the ad, 
it was targeting to 35 and up. Okay. And it was targeting to um, wealthier regions. I had set some of the ads to do so, but I was really able to see, okay, these are the people that my ad is being fed to. And you can also go in, I ran these specific ads for link clicks mm -hmm. because I wanted to generate traffic to a website. So I was able to see who was clicking on the links and then I was able to gather that information and get a consensus of who that demographic was for that specific ad set. So I think you can do that with anything. And when you run the Facebook ads, it will also run onto Instagram and it will tell you where it's running to the most. Right. So if you're trying to run solely Instagram ads, you can do the same thing looking at your demographics. Um, I recommend for everybody to have a business profile mm -hmm. if you're trying to figure out who your demographic is because then you can look at that profile and really hone in on your key demographic and it may shock you. You right. may not know that you are being followed by 80% men in Idaho. You don't know that unless you have that business profile to look on it. And I think people for a while had this fear that business profiles were hiding them in the algorithm, mm -hmm. but that is not the case. Right. Um, so I recommend that everybody have it. It's great for your insights and having any third party analytic is always great. Um, I use third party sites and I'm able to look into a little deeper into the analytic side of things and see who's viewing my posts, um, who's viewing my clients posts, because then I can target that to a certain group. So what do you, what do you see, um, social and yourself going in 2019, 2020? Ooh, <laughs> scary question. I would say that I can see us growing. Um, my team has been growing this past year, which has been really awesome. Um, and I am finally finding what my niche is. As I mentioned, that's the lifestyle side of things. So I can really see my business growing into more lifestyle focused. Okay. Um, I would love to take on some more local businesses right now. I would, I definitely wouldn't say my business is locally focused. Um, I have clients all over the country and I'd love to continue to expand. I'd love to expand into the South and into the Midwest and find some clients in those areas just because I think it's fun and exciting to have clients all over and really focus in LA. And I'd love to get some clients in Charleston. And now that my sister mm -hmm. is living in Florida, I'd love to get some clients down there and have a reason to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just see the transition of lifestyle clients and I really see myself transitioning more into the influencer campaign side of things again. That's really what I'm passionate about. And right now, I know we didn't touch too much on it, but the social media management side of things, as much as I love it, I really would like to focus on the influencer side of things because over this past year, I really developed a lot of relationships with influencers and I think that that shows and they understand and when you're working with them and trying to get things that work with them uh, or trying to get projects that work for them per se, um, they have that earned PR that I was speaking about. Mm -hmm. So once they know that you value them as a brand and you're not just seeking out their brand for free publicity, they're more willing to work with you with other brands that you have. So. That's really where I'd like to see things go. I'd love to take on a few clients who have a budget to run full-scale influencer campaigns that are targeted campaigns with a message behind them. Okay. I'm running something small-scale for one of my clients for Halloween, and I'm very excited about it. So I'm 
I'm ready to see how that will transpire and come to fruition in the next month. Mm. Um, Can you give us a little sneak peek of it? So one of my clients has a Halloween goodie bag. So we're going to be sending out little curated packages to families to hopefully do some photos and do um, a trick-or-treat package. Do you remember, did you ever have um, my intern told me this wasn't a thing where she lived which is here so maybe it's like not a normal thing where people would create like a it would be called like a boo package and they would do like cookies and put things in a basket and leave it on your front doorstep and it had instructions like you've been booed now bake some cookies and share with the neighbors around you and boo somebody else and you like doorbell ditch and like leave a package on their door okay so i'd love to figure out and again i don't know if any anybody understands that they may have just been something that they did in my neighborhood i don't know um but i'd love to do something with that campaign where we're doing like you've been booed like you're receiving this package share this with somebody else and give them the same experience. Um, Like we've provided enough candy for you and a friend, make sure to share your candy and let them know, you know, something like that. That's cute and interactive. Um, And I want to see all the photos of the kids dressed up. People are already posting Halloween costumes. So I'm excited. We're both very excited for the fall. So (laughs) excited for fall. I can't wait to eat copious amounts of candy corn. Um, yeah that's really where i see the growth going i really would love to take the influencer marketing to another level um because these big corporations that are running these campaigns they charge it starts at fifty thousand dollars to run a campaign with a big company like with Mm -hmm. a big agency i can run that same campaign for a fifth of the price right and i can run it really well so i just want to see if that can be something that can be expanded upon with some of my hopefully new lifestyle clients I get from my amazing new website. Love it. We can't wait. Now, I want to I want to touch back for for a quick minute. But do you see like in terms of influencers, are they are they now appearing more so on the company created content? Like if we're seeing a Toyota commercial, are they a part of it? Like, yes. I really, really, I haven't seen a lot of that. I don't watch a lot of TV, so. Um, commercial side, yes and no. So one influencer who's in every commercial, her name's Arielle. She's mm-hmm. a comedian. She's a YouTuber. Um, she does comedy sketches. She is in so many commercials. If you saw her and you watch commercials, you know exactly who I was talking about. Okay. I watched her on a panel. Um, so she did not start out really as an influencer i think she started out as an actor like a working actress in los angeles mm-hmm. booking these commercials and now she just happens to be an influencer um but i think that we're going to start seeing it a lot more with the integration of beauty influencers in commercials and you see um so you may not know this because i don't think you are the makeup wearer type um, i mean you have beautiful skin, skin. thank you so Maybelline did a campaign with James Charles and James Charles is a beauty influencer. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that where people are, they're integrating more brand ambassadors that are influencers than they have been before. Um, and again, to touch on that same subject, look at, we'll just use like Bella Hadid as mm-hmm. an example. 
those are technically influencers. Yes, they're celebrities, but they're influencers. So yes, you are seeing influencers. Right. I think that the, the, what's the right word to say this? The bridge between like celebrity and influencer, it's a really fine line nowadays. Like who is a celebrity and who is an influencer? Because they're both kind of cross. Yeah, they're starting to cross over. I mean, I wouldn't be excited to see a celebrity on the street. I mean, maybe, Hmm. but I'd be thrilled to see my favorite blogger on the street. Right. My favorite blogger probably has more followers than my favorite celebrity just because they're not in movies. Yeah, and I think it's like, um, you know, even with former celebrities or current celebrities now that are really pushing big on social, like Will Smith, right? Yeah. Like a lot of these past celebrities weren't on social because I, I think it's a stigma of they didn't want to show their everyday life kind of thing, right? But now it's like, even Will, like he, he joined this year, didn't he? Like somewhere. I'm not sure. I do not follow Will Smith. Uh, but he like, he blew up. You yeah, know? I mean, I know jada pinkett smith she has like an entire web series now yeah so i know that i watched it i thought it was very entertaining i thought it was really interesting she show. speaks on like very serious topics so i think that's really cool um but i'm trying to think of who else i mean yeah celebrities are now becoming influencers because they're not if they're not focusing on a specific project they're focusing that more into that their influence on social. I mean, look right. at Reese Witherspoon. She's still active in the film industry and has a production company, mm-hmm. but she just produced a show with influencers. So she has oh, a, no yeah, she has a direct TV channel called the Sunshine Network, I believe. I think that's what it's called. And she just started a new series and it's with this group or these two women called the Home Edit. The who? The Home Edit. Okay. They're professional organizers. And they got they gained a really big following. And then somehow Reese Witherspoon was doing I guess maybe she was getting her house organized by them. I don't know how she found them, but they now have a TV show. And now they're not just doing organizing for regular people, but they're doing it for celebrities, like big celebrities. Very cool. So it's all kind of meshing together. Um, you see some of these influencers. I'm just trying to think of names like Amber Lancaster, somebody I follow. She is one of the Price is Right girls. Okay. Big influencer. Hmm. She also does um, interior design. Her best friends are Ruby Rose, Nina Dobrev. These are all, she was on Vampire Diaries. So these are all celebrities that are now meshing with these influencers. And right. It's all becoming just like this big collective. Right. So, because it's essentially it's you as a personality, right? Yeah, it's it's people's personalities. I don't mm. know what I don't know what the distinction is anymore between celebrity and influencer. I think it's kind of a weird like melting pot of all these influencers are celebrities and all these celebrities right. are influencers and like who's a celebrity and who's an influencer. It's just kind of it's commingled. Yeah, it's super commingled. Yeah. So okay. Last subject, if someone wanted to, I mean, it's 2018, you yeah. have all this opportunity to, to be an influencer, mm-hmm. right? If someone wanted to get into the market and they think they have the potential, like how, how do they get into it? I guess I, it's not really a, how they get, what was that? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's, I guess it's not really a how they get into it, but like how, 
how do they push themselves out as as a brand? I would say finding something, and everyone says this, like, be unique, be unique. Mm. And I guess that's, and I always say, like, ugh, I hate going to these conferences for social media and influencer marketing because they all say the same thing. It's be unique, be yourself. But it's true. I mean, I don't know what necessarily sets you apart as an influencer. It's something about your aesthetic. Mm. The reason I follow the people I follow, so, okay, I guess speaking in a personal sense, the reason I follow the people I follow is because they're posting things I like. Right. There are Christian influencers that I follow because I like their content. I like that they're posting about their like faith journey and fashion. So I can resonate with that. I like following people that live on a farm because I would love to live on a farm, but I can experience it through them without having to scoop up horse poop. Um, I like to follow Helen Owen because she travels the world and does all these luxurious things and she's absolutely beautiful. So I get to live through these people. Hmm. Um, so I guess it's just finding a way for people to really resonate with you. Are you super small like um, Olivia Rink, who's an influencer based out of Chicago who solely posts about petite clothing? I can resonate with that because she's my exact measurement. So if I'm looking for clothes, I know, oh, I'm gonna go look on Olivia Rink's page because she and I are the same size. Hmm. So I'm gonna shop her closet because I already know what it looks like on her and it's most likely gonna fit me the exact same way it fits her. Right. So it's just finding that and honing in on that demographic and saying, I live on a ranch and people want to see my ranch life. I could like, list off hundreds of bloggers for people to follow, but those are just reasons why I follow those people. Right, and that's, I mean, that in itself is such a good tip because it's it's real relatable, what, relativity? Re- relativity? Relati- no, relate, like being able to re- relate with somebody. Relatable? Relatable, yes. It's being, it's it's having that aspect where it's like, I think a lot of people are, are very um, into, like they don't think they have a lot of content to push out or they don't think they're interesting, right, within that sense, but you relate to someone else, like, Totally. Someone else relates to you in every way. It's just, yeah, it's finding your own thing. You don't think that it's funny. And again, I just keep using personal references because I don't have anything else to use. But I don't know if people necessarily care about my 2,000 whatever followers care about my posts. But Mm. the posts that I don't think people will, will care about, like on my Instagram stories, are the ones that get like insane. Like I think the most amount of views I've gotten on an Instagram story were like 800. And I was like, how or like i've gotten i think the most views i got on an instagram story or i mean on a a feed video Mm -hmm. like 1200 views and i was like what right so it's just like you never know and just put it out there and you have no idea if people are gonna like it or not like it or i mean you're never gonna please everybody so just do what makes you happy and if you love what you're putting out there and you love the content you're creating and you think it's beautiful like you might as well try it out because with influencers growing at a rapid pace there's bound to be somebody who goes oh that person's relatable i just think it's and this is hard to recommend but it's just sticking to what that is if you push yourself out as a blogger who posts about um really affordable clothing then just keep in mind that that's something you really need to carry with your brand moving forward. Right. Because I've seen it where influencers post are really, they start out posting affordable clothing because they can't afford anything else when they're just starting out. 
And then they start getting brand deals and they start working with these big companies. And as, as great as it is to work with those big companies, I would never say deny the opportunity, but just be mindful of it. Because if somebody follow, started following you because you were posting affordable clothes and now you're posting an entire Gucci outfit, like how is the follower that originally followed you supposed to relate to you? Right. Like if you went you from Target to Gucci, of, yeah, right, right. There's, hmm. there's a factor where you kind of lose that. So just go in knowing like, this is what I'm focusing on and I guess kind of stick to it because when that switches, you're going to lose that. I mean, sure. You're going to find new followers, but I, why wouldn't you want to stick with the people? I mean, I've been following Julia Engel, Gametes Glam since high school and I can tell you the progression of her blog. And I mean, yeah, I'd be lying if I said it didn't suck. I love everything she wears, but I can't afford it. Hmm. Like I can't afford her $3,000 pair of shoes. Sure. But Is that who she still like was her. back in high school? So it was when I was in high school. She was in I mean, college. Right but, but no, it's, it's fine. Um, it's fine. Um, she would post a really good mix. So she would post like J. Crew and things. And I, her style's evolved, obviously. It's right. been quite some time. But she doesn't post anything that I feel is very affordable. Mm. It's pretty all, it's all high end. And I love all of it. I still love her style. Her style's still similar, but now I just can't afford it. Right. So she's I follow just her just for the look. Yeah, I mean, she's huge. She's was the keynote speaker at a conference I went to. She has a clothing line, which it's not an expensive, I mean, she has a clothing line in Nordstrom. She went from being a blogger at, and living in California being like, a dancer at her college to sure. buying this beautiful multi-million dollar home, renovating the whole thing and having a line in Nordstrom. Hmm. So just sticking with something stay and knowing authentic. that you kind of need, yeah, stay yeah. authentic and just, yeah, I, I guess that that's not even the best piece of advice only because just stay relatable, stay relatable, stay relatable because the people that have been following you since the beginning are like your ride or die people. Sure. And those are the people you want in your corner. I think that's a good way to end it. Cool. Yeah. So where can they find you? Or they can they where can they find your journey, your website, your social, everything? Yeah. They can your YouTube channel. Oh no. No, no, no. Don't Google that. Um, you can find me on all platforms at Sosh Media Co. S O S H Media Co. And you can find me at SoshMediaCo.com. My new site will be live in November. I do not recommend you looking at my old site because that is not a reflection of my brand. My new site will be so beautiful and it is being redone by Found It Digital based out of Scottsdale. So I'm very excited. Great. And when it's up and running, it will be on Kenny's Facebook page because I will force him to put it up. <laughs> Absolutely. So when your new site launches, what do you, what what can what can our listeners do to help you? Check out the website. I love feedback. Um, I would love to hear how people's user experience on the website is. If you like it, you don't like it. Um, it's probably not going to visually appeal to a lot of men. It's definitely going to be a, more of a feminine website. Um, and then if you're a lifestyle brand and you're looking 
to work with influencers or if you're looking for social media management and just find that running your social media is something that has taken up too much of your time, that's all I do with my time. So contact me because I live for social media. <laughs> Great. You heard it here, folks. You sure did. The Tessa show is coming to an end. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank, thank you so much, Tessa, for being on the show. It's been an um, insightful journey through social and digital. Well, thank you, and I cannot wait to see your influencer journey come to fruition. Just want to thank our guest, Tessa Beaver, for coming on the show. If you guys found any insight within this conversation, please take a moment and rate us on iTunes. Um, that really boosts us on the visibility rating and gets our podcast out. And as always, follow us on social media. We are at Any March Film. Follow Tessa as well. Um, she is at Tessa Breeden and at Social Media Pope. If you guys have any questions regarding this episode, always reach out to us. We're super active on Twitter, on Instagram, and sometimes on Facebook. I hope you guys have a good one. Thanks.